I mentioned a number of weeks back that I have a yearly practice of watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And in actuality, there's other TV shows and movies that I've watched over the years that I'll go back and I'll rewatch when I get the opportunity. Being a bit of a science fiction fan and home renovation show fan, those are the kind of shows I don't mind watching more than twice. Um, this is something I've en quite enjoyed doing as I find I see things in the shows and in the movies that I missed the first time through. But I also remember growing up and my parents telling me when I watched an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation for the third or fourth time, you've seen it enough, you don't need to see it again. And I would always argue, but I need to. They were never a huge fan of me watching reruns on television. Uh, but I still like reruns. And as far as sermons today go, uh, today's sermon could kind of be considered a rerun of sorts. Because back in November, I think it was November 20th, we were wrapping up our sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and we did a sermon called The Spirit-Led Church. And in it, we looked at Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, the exact same passage we're looking at this morning. Now, I'm hoping as we work through the text again, you're going to see things that we didn't talk about back in November, that this will be more than just watching the same old message again. I can promise you I did not just copy and paste my sermon into today's sermon notes. It is different. But truth be told is, if you've been around the church for any significant length of time, you will have heard sermons on this passage of Scripture before. This would be one of the most preached passages in the book of Acts, and perhaps in the New Testament outside of the Gospels. Churches have used this passage as a model for planting churches and guiding how they do life together. And there's a lot of value in this passage. So I hope as we do a rerun on this passage, you're able uh, to value another sermon on this text and glean from it something to help nurture both your personal faith, but also how we're called to be a community of faith. Now, I'm not sure about you, but one of the other things I enjoy seeing and reading are all those year-end articles and videos that summarize the past year whether it be the best commercials of the year, best 100 hockey plays would be one of my favorites, uh, the most impactful news stories, or just a good old-fashioned year in the review. I find it helpful to summarize things and look back and say, oh yeah, that happened, or wow, I, that kind of went in the back burner. I need to think about that some more. This passage today is in many ways a summary like our year-end reviews are. It's a summary of the life of the early church after the Holy Spirit is sent at Pentecost. It's actually the first of a number of snapshots Luke provides us in the book of Acts to help us understand and see what the early church was like, what God was doing. And this snapshot gives us a bridge from the birth of the church as we see Jesus ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit is sent to Pentecost, and it bridges us to what day-to-day -day life was like for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, when we looked at this back in November, um, we saw from the Scripture passage that the early church uh, did a number of things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, those who were around Jesus and knew him, and their teachings. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread, 
to being together as community, to sharing in the Lord's Supper together like we do every month and we'll do next week. And they rooted themselves in prayer. And we noted back in November that all three of these things involve listening. Listening to Jesus in our lives through the teaching of the apostles and through scripture for us. Listening to one another in the community of faith. So much of our world is just about talking. In community, you listen. And then through prayer, where we listen to what God is saying to us. And we we talked about how that's the foundation for being a church that transforms the world around us. There's so much we like as we look at this early church. And I think we can sometimes romanticize this passage, removing it from its context, and just reflecting on the wonders of what this early church was like. Oh, if only we could be just like that, I've heard people say. We need to be an Acts 2 church. And when people say that, I I think I understand what they're saying, but when you start digging down into the pieces, I, I find rarely are they actually willing to do what this passage fully talks about. And I think that's fair on some level because the context of this is 2,000 years ago. I think the principles transfer, but how it's lived out is going to be different for us today than what it would have been 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago or at the time. But also... We don't think always about what it was like in the culture around the church when this was happening. We look at it as, oh, this was so wonderful. It was so great. There was nothing bad in all this. There was no challenges or struggles. It's just so good. But when it comes to the world around the early church, the behaviors and the practices of the early church we read about and heard read by by Ron for us in Acts 2 was deeply concerning and unsettling to the world outside the followers of Jesus. The world was not one that welcomed the early church and how they lived their lives. You see, the church was focused on living Jesus' way and not the world's way. And Jesus' way has this powerful effect of changing lives. And it undermines the powers and the influences the world has. And this has not changed. I believe this is still true. And the early church was living this way. The Jesus way devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and sharing meals and to prayer. They allowed the teaching of the apostles to change their lives and how they saw things and how they did things and to challenge how they did things. We see that in how they're sharing their resources with each other, selling off belongings so everybody's needs can be met and cared for, caring for one another in this incredibly generous lifestyle and way. And then we see this community gathering daily in the temple courts. And their lives were intertwined on a daily basis to support and care for one another, setting aside differences in language and culture to be a community of faith, to be friends, to be family, and to focus on Jesus together. They were a community that was awed by God working through the apostles. They came joyfully praising God and worship. This was a unique community that was different from anything in the world around it. 
And it was not a community that happened accidentally, but was a work of God's Spirit in the lives of the believers of Jesus and their faithful obedience. The early church was countering the powers of the world around it by living faithfully with who Jesus called them to be. Now, I want to be clear. Other than one specific example, as best we know, the early church followed the rules of the society in which they lived. However, the culture of the early church was so different, it left the Jewish and Roman powers threatened by these behaviors and actions of this community. And not only were the individual lives of the believers transformed by Jesus, their community life was transformed, and through that, the world was being transformed in response to the early church. And if you have power and authority over people, you don't want to lose power and authority. And yet people were giving their lives to Jesus and turning from other powers in the world. That's the threat. The first transformation we see in the early church is what we saw last week when the Holy Spirit is given to the gathered believers and we see a group of 120 people become a group of over 3,000 people in one day. People would come on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Jewish Feast of Weeks. And while there, they encountered the believers at Pentecost. And through God's Spirit working in their lives, they came to love Jesus and chose to follow Jesus. To recognize that Jesus was the Messiah who came to fix a broken world. To give them the gift of life and of love. And their lives were changed forever. And we look and say, that's amazing Now, what happened next is that many would have stayed in Jerusalem. They'd come on a pilgrimage. They would have stayed there to be discipled. They would have understood they needed to learn more. They needed to grow in faith. This is not something they would have planned on when leaving home. So they might not have been well prepared to take up residency in Jerusalem to be discipled. Can you imagine the logistical nightmare of adding 3,000 believers in one day? finding food and housing and resourcing them for weeks as they become disciples. That's what we're seeing discussed in the early church in Acts 2. They met each other's needs. They cared for one another. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What we're seeing is a community being discipled together, growing in faith together, being prepared for when they go back home so they can share the faith. And to do this, the community had to do it together. Now, I'm wondering, if we, as a church, all of a sudden had 250 people show up here extra on a Sunday morning, so we don't have enough room in the sanctuary, would we be grumbling because of how inconvenient this was? Or would we be praising God because of the opportunity? I think in the church in North America, we get pretty comfortable growing in trickle amounts. A few people here, a few people there, and those are wonderful things to have happen, to have people come to faith and grow in faith and connect with the church. But there's something powerful when the Spirit works in these wonderful ways, and it's overwhelming. And I'm wondering, do we have the heart if that were to happen here? Do we have the heart to open our lives and say, God, we're all in. We're going to be community. 
And we got ways to be community in new and wonderful ways that the world's never known. With internet and Zoom and all this technology we've discovered over the last few years as a church so we can stay connected when the world's saying you should be isolating. So there's lots of ways we could be community. But would we be willing to make the investment? And what this is coming down to, the question is, is church something you just go to that's a part of your life, or are you the church? Are, is this who we are, or just something we do? And we have to make that choice every day to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to live for Jesus, to share his love with the world, to care for one another, to invest in each other, to be a people who disciple one another. And we all have a place to be making disciples of somebody else. It might be asking questions together and saying, hey, let's go find an answer to these questions. That's discipling. Or maybe you've got a story that you can share of how God worked in your life. That's disciple-making. Or maybe you're somebody who's studied the scriptures and you could help somebody understand them more. That's discipling. Or maybe you can just pray alongside somebody as they struggle and are wrestling. Or just sit beside somebody in their heartache. I believe the Holy Spirit works through that, and that is discipling. But we have to see these opportunities. We have to have our eyes open for the encounters by a wasp nest. That stung. Sorry, I could not resist a pun. We have to have our eyes open. We have to be willing to be the church and not just go to church. And in Acts, the church was changed and transformed by this addition of 3,000 people and their focus on being in the community. And what we see in this passage is how the community responded to the challenges before them. But how did the rest of the world perceive this group of believers? Because I think that's important for us to understand that this was not easy. So let's look at the Jewish and Roman cultures and how they would have seen the church. Now, this would have been a growing sense within the Jewish and Roman cultures, not immediate right away, but growing. But what we've seen is a snapshot of an extended time period. And for the Jews... This group of Jesus followers, first of all, were a puzzle to them. How can they have teachers? They don't have rabbis. All they have are these unordained nobodies who are claiming to have this knowledge. For the Jews, rabbinic teaching goes back to Moses. It's the reason why they have a priesthood. The followers of Jesus were unlearned and ignorant and it's humbling to accept talk from nobodies. Now keep in mind, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus one day because of the preaching of these unlearned people and the Holy Spirit working through that sermon that Peter gave. So there was power there. But for the powers that were in charge of the Jewish faith, they didn't make any sense. They weren't the authority because the authority was no longer people but God. The authority was the Holy Spirit working in people and through people. And that still goes today. We hold to something called the priesthood of all believers, that we all have access to God. 
I am no one more special than any of you. I am a brother in Christ, and that is it. Yes, I'm called into a role to use my gifts and skills, but so are we all. We journey together as a body of Christ. And the religious leadership of the Jews were threatened by the early church and by the lack of having rabbis. So when we read in Acts 2 that the believers committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, this would have been deeply offensive, confusing, and disconcerting to the largest, larger Jewish community and their leaders. And not just were these teachers uninformed, their very message was offensive to the Jews. Message of Jesus were offensive to Judaism. How could this Jesus be greater than Abraham or Moses or David? He wasn't even promising to get rid of the Romans. How could he be the Messiah? How could a man killed on a cross, which is, we're told in Scripture is, it means you're cursed by God for that, how could a man killed on a cross lead people when he wasn't driving out the Romans even? Jesus to the Jews was both a cursed and a failure. How could he be the Messiah? But both the message of the early church and their teachers were offensive. And yet, thousands came to faith because of the spirit at work in people. This message that was so offensive to some apparently isn't as offensive as we think when you approach it with an open heart and open mind and an openness to God working in your life. That's the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit does. But even beyond that, the way this community functioned was offensive. The Christian way of being community was insulting to the Jews as well. They had no need for temple and sacrifices. They saw that God was done with those things as Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, and there was no need for a temple anymore. The followers of Jesus were claiming that God was to be found outside the congregation of Israel in the temple. That Jesus was to be found in the world. That his spirit was present with all who believed. And we read in Acts 2 that the believers gathered in the temple courts every day, which would be like a slap in the face to the religious establishment that were leading inside the actual temple. These people didn't feel they had to go in the temple to be in the presence of God. And so they just met in the temple courts, an open space where they could meet. Because they were united in the Holy Spirit. And things only got worse as Gentiles were added and people began to teach that there was no circumcision anymore either. Because of teachings like this, it was seen that the Christians were undermining teachings written down in the scripture that God gave himself to the people of Israel. The Jews would be asking, how could the followers of Jesus be God's people? And they're not even following the basic laws of the Old Testament. This shows how much the followers of Jesus had changed from where they had been as a part of the Jewish religious community. The Holy Spirit had transformed them. They didn't see themselves as a different faith, but as understanding the fulfillment of the promises of the Jewish God, Yahweh, to send a Messiah. The suggestion that the religious leaders missed, or worse, executed the Messiah, Jesus, was a threat to them, to their authority and influence. They would not be happy. 
and it was becoming more and more hostile. The message of Jesus was so counter to the culture, but it was life-changing to those who followed Jesus and a threat to those who rejected Jesus. And it still is today. In our world, it's still a threat to those who reject Jesus, but life-changing to those who are willing to give their life to Jesus. So opposition and hatred to Christians grew in the Jewish leadership and world. And yet, at the same time, the church was growing as Jewish people encountered Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit and the community of faith. So you see this tension present in that community. Now, for the Romans, the followers of Jesus were also a threat. In Rome, there is two types of religion, state religion and private religion. In the state, it was the worship of the gods, making sacrifices, going to the temples and ceremonies. And it's not that people actually believed in these old gods, but they still did the sacrifices and religious acts around them. It's really a mark of national identity that centered people's attention on the state. And then there was the private faith that individuals held. And this is what they actually believed and practiced. And there were all sorts of private religious groups and cults. And the Senate would banish any group that had harmful practice such as using magic or a private faith that was deemed wrong if it led to you not participating in the state religion. So if you're a faith that believes in only one God and refuses to take part in religious practices to the state gods or take part in ceremonies at Roman temples, then you were considered a danger and offensive to the state. Now, the Jews had an exception, and they were tolerated barely. About 60 BC, an agreement was made that the Jews didn't have to worship the state gods and could only worship their God as long as they prayed to God for the well-being of Rome. And so they had this exception. And the Christian group was growing, and they were not seen as being strictly Jewish anymore. And the Jewish establishment was not going to say, hey, they're part of us, because this Christian group was offensive to them. You see the challenge here? And the Christians weren't a nation with their own national religions, and there was no tolerance being expressed by the Romans. But since they wouldn't worship any other gods, they were seen as a threat, and it was seen as a refusal to pledge allegiance to Rome. This would be the one spot where they would not hold to the rules of the land that we know of. And it's the same spot that we should stand on too. That if our government ever asks us to deny Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, ever asks us to deny that our God, the triune God, is the one and only true God, we don't go along with the government. That's the line. We are God's people. We are followers of Jesus. We do not worship any other gods. We do not deny Jesus as the Son of God. If you weren't with the Romans, you were against them. So the early believers were suspect. Not a direct threat, but suspect. And like I said, this is where we see the church living in opposition to the rules of government. 
The church cannot afford to compromise, and we can't afford either. But it wasn't just the lack of participation in the public faith that was an issue. The private faith of these Christians also had issues that could be deemed harmful in Roman society. Unfortunately, most of these practices were, uh, these understandings that were seen as offensive was more because of a lack of understanding, the result of gossip and hearsay, and the desire to intentionally slander the early church. One of the most prominent examples was that the early church was seen as being cannibals. However you feel about being a part of a faith um, that's seen as feasting on human flesh. Anybody know where that comes from? The Lord's Supper. Right? Because the language of the Lord's Supper was taken out of context. The early believers were seen as being cannibals for the practice of eating the body of Christ. We even use that language. This bread is the body of Christ. Eat this in remembrance of him. This cup is the blood of Christ. Drink this in remembrance of him. They were not cannibals. But the language was misunderstood. People spread rumors. And a reputation grew. The other church was accused of incest because of the love between brothers and sisters. Again, blown way out of context and proportion. That's the challenge. The early church was being misconstrued. What they were doing was so counter to the culture, it was seen as subversive, and they were attacked any way they could by the powers of the world. These are the things we look and say, this is wonderful, but the world saw as subversive. And then there was the community life within the Roman world that the early believers avoided. They wouldn't take in the Roman theater. They didn't take in the party lifestyle of the Roman culture. They objected to the gods. They didn't join the army. They didn't have idols. They were social misfits. And people generally don't trust people who don't do the same things and value the same things as them. And so the church was offensive and a threat to the powers that be. These believers were transformed through their discipleship and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life as a community into a countercultural force, which is how the church should be. As we live out the calling of Jesus to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors and to proclaim the good news of Jesus that he died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven and will one day return, as we proclaim that and we make disciples, we're going to see that the world is not rooted in Jesus and it will oppose us. Now, a part of our witness is our life as a community. A big part. We don't have to try and make the world outside accept us. We don't have to make the world outside look like us. And we run that temptation sometimes, don't we? This is not where a statement about what political party we support. It's not a statement rooted in specific interests and agendas. We are a community, and that is a statement that is rooted in the radical love of God that we are called to be a part of. The church is still counter to the world around it. We are called to be a part of God's kingdom. 
That is a kingdom that does not know nationalistic borders or political borders. It is rooted in people being followers of Jesus and living with their eyes on Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that is counter to the world that doesn't look to Jesus. And I would suggest that the more our church and our society look alike, chances are the church is missing something significant and is not rooting itself in the gospel, but in something else. Devoting ourselves to Scripture and not cultural determinations, that is subversive in this world. Sharing what we have with others, being generous and loving and not seeking power and wealth just for ourselves, that is subversive in our world. Gathering in community and building real relationships and sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly of life and not just superficial context and engagements, that is subversive in our world. The Lord's Supper Proclaiming Jesus as Lord over all, that he died, rose again, and ascended, one day will return, is as subversive in our world as anything. As our world tries to neuter Jesus and say he was just a good teacher and nothing more. And yet we proclaim him as king over all. Praising God and not our cultural idols of money and sex and wealth and power, that is subversive. There were so many roadblocks facing the church as it was getting started. Look how many obstacles the early church had to overcome in its culture. And yet, people still came to faith. And sometimes people say, well, Mike, it's not the same anymore. It's so hard. Nobody believes anything anymore. That's not true. People are open to conversations about God and faith. They may be tired of people in power in religious organizations controlling and trying to influence things for their own gain. I get that. We've all seen too much abuse of power within the church's history undermining the very gospel we're called to proclaim. Trying to control the Holy Spirit as if it's a thing that we could have power over. We need to let go and let the Holy Spirit do the work and follow God's leading in our lives and in our communities. We face obstacles just like the early church did. And the Holy Spirit is still at work just like it was in the Early, the Holy Spirit is still work as it was in the early church. Thousands came to faith. Daily, people were being added to the number of the early church. Do you know what their secret was? The very thing that the religious and cultural leaders found offensive and were threatened by were attractive to the everyday people this community of faith engaged with. It stood out as so different to the way the world did things that people would ask, why are you doing this? Remember the Pentecost story? These people have the gift of tongues and are speaking languages from everybody who's all over and they're recognizing their language and they say, what does this mean? That was an opening, a chance to say, hey, here's what this means. Here's where this comes from. Here's the basis of why I act and love and I'm in community in this way. 
And the people listened to that message, and people still listen to that message. People will still ask, why are you like this? And we've heard that. We know Lee passed away, for those who know who Lee was part of our church after a battle of ALS. But Lee and Larry shared with me a couple times along their journey about the powerful impact the church had being a community living out faith. Their neighbors were watching as the church would drive up for visits, dropping off meals, helping out around with things. Again and again and again, their family and friends were watching and they were saying, what's going on? And Lee and Larry were able to share about their church community and their faith came out of that. People notice when the body of Christ lives out the community we're called to be, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the world notices and they ask questions. And then we have the chance to respond, sharing the truth of the gospel when we're asked. Just as we see in the Pentecostal story where people say, what does it mean? And Peter preaches. And we see in the Acts story what happens as believers who are faithful to the call of God, both in their own life and the community they were a part of. The Lord added to their numbers every day. This faithful living out of God and community was a powerful witness to the world. But I also want to be clear, it was not the believers in the church that added to the numbers. It's very clear the Lord added to their numbers. It was always God doing the work, adding people through the power of the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit works through the church, but the Holy Spirit, the triune God, led people to faith in Jesus, and God added them to their number. This is the transformation we see in the early church as they become this community, but also as the broken systems and powers that are around them are cast aside for living God's way in community. Their lives were transformed and the lives of others were transformed. Are we willing to be that? Are we willing to make sure we're not just going to church, but we're being church? We're being that community in the world around us. We're being that community for one another, loving one another, caring one another, engaging with each other in relationship and inviting the world to experience that transformation for themselves. It's attractive. It always has been and still is. We don't need a program where we pass out paper or I think those are great tools we can use. I'm thankful for those opportunities. But at the very foundation of everything, whatever we do to share faith, if we are not being the church and living with integrity as followers of Christ, saved by grace, our witness will be ineffective. But when we yield to the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit guide us in our relationships, set our eyes on Jesus as the King, amazing things happen. We see it in Acts 2. We've seen it throughout history with revivals. 
And you know what? We could see it here too. Do we want to see that? Are we willing to be inconvenienced by the Holy Spirit working in incredible ways in our community? That's something we have to really wrestle with personally. Are we willing? Are we willing to be all in for God's kingdom? Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we see this amazing community that you have shaped through your spirit in Acts 2. A community of new disciples whose lives are changed and transformed in how they do things, from focusing on themselves to focusing on you and on their brothers and sisters in Jesus. Learning together, living life together, praying together, sharing resources together, all empowered by your spirit. And we see through that, Lord, that you added to their number daily. Help us, Lord, to be all in as a community, focused on you. So others will come to know your love and your grace and let their lives be transformed by you. Help us to look past programs and activities All these things are valuable, Lord, that you use, we know. But help us just to focus on who you're calling us to be. So we can live that out wherever you place us. In your name we pray. Amen.